Chapter Nine of the Sheridan Road Mystery. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Sheridan Road Mystery by Paul and Mabel Thorne. Chapter Nine: The Last Letter. At the same moment that Marsh opened the door, Tierney and the man from headquarters who had been taking the photographs came bounding down the stairs from the third floor. They all saw the body of a woman lying motionless on the landing. "'Who is it?' cried Morgan over Marsh's shoulder. "'Jane Atwood,' was the sharp reply. With that, Marsh stooped and took the unconscious girl up in his arms, the unusual tenderness and care of his movements being plainly apparent. Carrying her into his apartment while the others followed, Marsh laid her gently on a davenport in the living room. "'She must have had a shock of some kind and fainted,' exclaimed Morgan. "'No,' returned Marsh, as he softly smoothed back the hair from her forehead, disclosing a bruise that was now rapidly discoloring and swelling. "'Somebody knocked her insensible,' then added, "'You sent your man away too soon, Morgan.' "'My God!' burst out Morgan. "'What nerve! To think of pulling anything like this in a household of detectives!' "'We have a tough customer this time,' declared Marsh. "'Ordinary methods won't go. Watch her while I get some water.' Marsh went to the bathroom for a towel and some cold water, in the meantime, Morgan turned sharply to Tierney. "'From now on, while we work on this case, your job is to stand outside of every door I enter.' Tierney grinned. To some men it might have seemed that they were being thrust into the background. To Tierney, however, the work immediately presented possibilities that stirred his fighting Irish blood. Without a word, he went out into the public hall and closed the door behind him. Marsh returned and began to bathe the girl's forehead and the bruise with cold water. While he worked over her, the photographer approached Morgan and held out an envelope. "'After your friend here picked the girl up,' he explained, "'I noticed this lying near her.' Morgan took the envelope. After a hasty glance, he extended it to Marsh. "'A letter to this girl with a St. Louis postmark,' he gasped. "'Good!' exclaimed Marsh, without stopping his work to revive the girl. "'Just what I have been watching for. Open it.' Morgan understood. Turning to the photographer, he handed back the envelope. "'Slip into the kitchen and steam this open, and make a quick copy.' Then, noticing the case on the floor beside the man, he added, "'Finished your work upstairs?' The man nodded. "'Then make a photograph of this letter at the same time. The handwriting may prove useful.' Taking the letter and picking up his case, the man went back to the kitchen. Morgan turned to Marsh. "'How is she coming?' he inquired. There was a slight flutter of the eyelids as he spoke, and Marsh called his attention to it. "'She'll be all right in a moment,' he said." Presently Jane Atwood's eyes opened slowly, and she gazed in a bewildered and uncomprehending way at the two men bending anxiously over her. Marsh continued to bathe her forehead, and gradually she seemed to realize her position. She struggled slowly into a sitting position on the Davenport, while the two men stood back, awaiting her first words. Contrary to the usual idea of feminine return to consciousness, she did not inquire where she was. Instead, she startled the two men by asking, "'Did you get him?' "'Get who?' counter-questioned Marsh, taking the lead. "'The man who was outside the door,' was the reply. Marsh and Morgan exchanged quick glances. To them it was a confirmation that the listener of the night before was still seeking information about the case in hand. Moreover, here might be a clue to his identity, or at least a description that would prove helpful. So Marsh seated himself on the Davenport at her side, while Morgan went to a chair across the room. Both men knew instinctively that this would put the girl more at her ease than if they continued to stand over her like inquisitors. Marsh continued the conversation. "'We know nothing about what happened,' he said. "'We heard a scream. When we opened the door, you were lying there. No one was around except two policemen, who came down from the third floor at that moment, having also heard your cry.' 
After this simple statement of the situation, Marsh paused, waiting for the girl to go on. He felt that in her dazed and weakened condition, questions would still further bewilder her, might even cause a revulsion that would delay or prevent their getting information that would prove of inestimable value. The girl paused as if to collect her thoughts, and passed her hand before her eyes with a motion similar to sweeping aside a curtain. Then she spoke. "'I went to the hairdressers in the block below. Returning, I stopped to take a letter out of the mailbox, and then started up the stairs to my apartment.' At this point she passed her hand over her hair, and smiled as she realized its disheveled appearance now. "'As I turned up the flight to this floor, I saw a man crouched down before the door of this apartment. He did not hear me until I reached the top of the stairs. Then he jumped up, and seeing me, tried to push by. Remembering the burglary, or whatever it was upstairs, I knew I should try to stop him. So I seized his coat, and we started to struggle. Instantly I saw him draw back his arm, then I felt the blow.' I remember nothing of what happened from that moment until I awoke just now on this Davenport. Marsh sat up and clenched his hands. If I knew what that fellow looked like, I would thrash him the next time I saw him, he threatened, hoping thus to draw out the description he wanted. Oh, I can describe him, at least in a general way. He was short, not much over five feet, and quite thin. His face had a peaked look. While we struggled, his hat fell off, and I saw that he was almost bald. His nose was large and taken with his thin face and rather large bright eyes, it seems to me now that he looked just like an eagle. "'Had you seen him before?' Morgan asked. "'Never,' she answered, and the positive note in her voice could not be mistaken. "'I will send your description to all the stations,' said Morgan. "'We will try to get that fellow.' Morgan went to the telephone and called the detective bureau. He gave the necessary directions, and as he returned to his chair, remarked, "'In an hour or two this won't be a safe town for that fellow.' "'You are the detective who came to see me,' exclaimed the girl. "'Perhaps this is the man you are looking for.' "'Perhaps,' agreed Morgan. "'I can tell better after I get my hands on him.' "'Oh, my!' cried the girl, and began to search about the Davenport. The two men suspected she was looking for the letter, and they were relieved to see the photographer appear in the doorway at that moment. "'Have you lost something?' inquired Marsh. "'Yes, the letter I took out of the mailbox.' "'Here it is, miss,' said the photographer, stepping forward and presenting the letter to her. I picked it up in the hall where you dropped it. She took it and thanked him. I'm so glad you found it, she added. It is from my father, and I have not heard from him in a long time. I feel better now, and will go home. She rose slowly with the words. Noting her weakness, Marsh stepped to her side and slipped his arm under hers. Let me help you up the stairs, he said gently. Oh, thank you, she returned simply, realizing her need of help. I'll wait till you come back, Marsh, said Morgan. The girl started. "'Are you Mr. Marsh?' she exclaimed. Then, as Marsh nodded, she added, "'Why, you are the man who sent this detective up to see me.' Marsh glanced quickly at Morgan, who, behind the girl's back, dropped one eyelid slowly and significantly. "'Well, you seem to be the most likely person to have information, being right on the same floor,' Marsh said, smiling. There could be no question that this was a natural explanation, and the girl seemed satisfied. With a nod and a smile to Morgan and the photographer, she allowed Marsh to assist her out of the door and up the stairs to her apartment. Tierney rose from the step where he had been sitting to let her pass, and she favored him with one of her pretty smiles as he did so. Tierney then climbed after them to the next landing and stood watching. Marsh waited until the door closed after her. Then, with a catch in his breath that sounded suspiciously like a sigh, he went back to his apartment. Tierney gave him a peculiar look as he passed. 
The photographer had gone, but Morgan held out the copy which he had made of the letter, as soon as Marsh entered, with the remark, "'Now what's the game?' Marsh took it and read, "'My dear daughter, I have returned from the last trip I shall ever make. I have never told you, not wishing to cause you worry, but my health has been gradually failing for many years. I can no longer attend to my duties on the road, and have had to give up my position. The doctor gives me but a few months to live, so rather than be a burden to you, I have decided to end the thing at once. When this letter reaches you, the Mississippi will be carrying my body to the sea, where I hope that it will be lost to the world forever. Knowing that my time was approaching, I long ago arranged for your future. If you will identify yourself to the National Trust Company, Chicago, you will find that you have been amply provided for. As we do not lease the apartment direct from the owner, you had better move out at once and go to a hotel. No one can hold you responsible. Good luck and success in your music. God bless you, and good-bye. Your devoted father. What's the game? repeated Morgan, when he saw that Marsh had finished reading the letter. A convenient disappearance, that is all, returned Marsh. Things were beginning to get too hot for him. No doubt he thought you were getting closer than you really were. Poor girl, he added. She will take it as gospel truth, and we dare not tell her otherwise. Not now, anyway. One thing is certain in my mind now, asserted Morgan. There was a murder upstairs. They planned to put some person who was becoming a menace quietly out of the way, but you spoiled it. No, I did not spoil it, said Marsh. The shot did that. I have felt for some time that the shot was a mistake, a slip-up somewhere. I've got to go. It is two o'clock, exclaimed Morgan, as he looked at his watch. Where shall we hold future conferences? I do not want to be seen coming here too often. It might lead to suspicions of you, and I think we can accomplish more if your connection with the case is not made clear. How about your house? inquired Marsh. Knowing that you are now suspicious, and with Tierney on the doorstep, they will probably keep away from there in the future. Well, let it stand at that for the present, agreed Morgan. Telephone me when you want to come. My number is in the telephone book. With that, the two men's hands met in a strong grip, as if to seal their future partnership. Morgan opened the door, and then started back with a cry. Tierney lay stretched out across the landing, apparently asleep. But Morgan knew the man better. End of chapter 9